Hey y'all, you're listening to Eco Chic. My name is Laura Diaz. Welcome to the show. So nice to have you here today. I am really excited about today's episode. As you can see from the title, we're talking about handbags, it bags, stuff for status. I was really excited to put this episode together because in a sense, it kind of feels like going a little bit back to my roots. I feel like I'm presenting a thesis today, but overconsumption and handbags and looking back at fashion history, I feel like is truly the culmination of all my interests, really what it means to be eco-chic. I feel like this is a perfect episode to share with y'all as a solo because it is something that I'm deeply interested in and I feel like it's something that we can all easily research and go down these little rabbit holes on our own. So I feel like this is going to be a really fun episode. I am not a fashion historian, of course, by any means, but I am someone who deeply appreciates fashion, who really enjoys learning about designer fashion, designer history. I love a handbag. And I'm also a really big fan of early 2000s pop culture and all of this layered with overconsumption, with perceptions of social media, with fashion for environmental or rather not environmental reasons is all really interesting to me. And these are really like all of the things that I want to learn and talk about. So I'm so glad that y'all are here today. I hope you really enjoy this episode. I will say that I wish I had a PowerPoint presentation or something that I can share with y'all so that we have visuals throughout the episode, but I will be sharing on social media, on Instagram and on TikTok, pictures of the specific bags that I'm talking about and then any other visual references I feel would be really helpful in this episode. So I will have all of my socials linked below as they always are. And also in the show notes, there will be so many articles so you can also do some deep dives on these things. I have done so much research for this episode. I am so excited about it. And I feel like y'all will really appreciate those links too. Some come from fashion sources like Vogue, and then some come from more like financial analytical sources like Bloomberg. So I think it'll be a really fun mix of info that we present today. So to set the scene a little bit, let's discuss what an it bag even is. An it bag is an expensive designer handbag that is deemed fashionable, that is deemed a must-have. It is a social symbol, something that's difficult to obtain, expensive to own, limited in some way. It is the bag of the moment. And if you have an it bag, that's a visual indicator in the fashion world that you are someone of status, of influence, of course of money, but also just someone who is someone to know. The term it bag wasn't coined until the 1990s, but we have had it bags since long before. And I want to take us through a brief history of it bags, or more largely, I want to have a conversation about who makes an it bag, who makes a handbag a coveted item or a status symbol. I think that the fashion house that best represents it bags or in my opinion, naming a bag for an influential person is Hermes. And there are two bags specifically that I want to talk about today that are absolutely highly coveted in the fashion world. And that is the Hermes Birkin and the Hermes Kelly bag. Again, I wish we had visuals, but if you are listening to this on your phone, I suggest you Google these bags. These are bags that you would know if you saw them. I want to start with the Hermes Kelly bag. It was created and introduced in 1935 under just a standard bag name, nothing special, nothing memorable, but then it was renamed in 1956 for Grace Kelly. Grace Kelly is said to have been a very big fan of Hermes as a house in general. Grace Kelly very prominently wore Hermes in any films that she was in and any public appearances. 
this was kind of our first foray as an American public into what we now understand as influencers or brand representatives. Hermes and Grace Kelly were really a natural, beautiful partnership in the public eye. And this bag that she was carrying around, supposedly she used this big bag to hide her pregnancy from photographers. It was photographed so much with her and people started really associating this shape of bag with Grace Kelly. The fashion house actually renamed the bag the Kelly after her, of course. I feel like this is a really great first example of a prominent person in society, in pop culture, globally recognized, that is clearly being associated with a handbag. And that is why they renamed it. And that is why still to this day, we call it an Hermes Kelly. The Hermes Kelly is a very expensive bag. It starts right now, the mini in 2022, starts at $8,100. And it's historically very difficult to buy these particular bags from Hermes. You can't just walk into an Hermes store and say, I want to buy a Kelly. There is more of a process and a little bit of a political game you have to play when looking to buy these really it bags specifically from Hermes. And this leads me into my next example, which is the Hermes Birkin bag. Again, this is a bag, if you saw it, you would know it. Frankly, it looks just like a big tote bag, but there's something about the Birkin that makes it coveted, that makes it influential, that makes it a status symbol. The Hermes Birkin bag, unlike the Kelly, is relatively new in the fashion space. It was introduced in 1984, and this was not a bag that was renamed. This was actually a bag that was created with the name Hermes Birkin bag. So the story of the Hermes Birkin is that English actress and singer Jane Birkin supposedly sat next to an Hermes exec, Jean-Louis Dumas, on a flight, and she was discussing her need to have a really roomy, big tote bag. Jane Birkin historically carried a basket, which I think is so funny, and then she's telling this exec about her need for a big tote bag. And the result was the Birkin bag. It was pretty influenced by other elements of Hermes bags, but it was just created in specificity with Jane Birkin's needs and her wants. Jane Birkin is so casual cool about this bag. I'm going to insert a clip of her discussing the origins of the bag and the impact of the bag on CBS Sunday morning. I said, why don't you make a handbag that's a bit bigger than the Kelly and not as big as my suitcase, which weighs a ton? And uh, he said, like what? And there was the sort of vomit bag. And so <laughs> I, I, I did a little sketch. They call it the stomach distress bag. <laughs> the stomach distress bag, I beg your pardon. <laughs> I did a wee sketch. And he, um, he took it with him. And a month later, I got a call from Hermes saying, would I come and have a look at this bag? And it was made out of cardboard. It looked lovely, actually, in cardboard. And I said... You know, this leather would be rather nice, etc. And then when I picked it up, uh, they said it looks so good. Yeah. Can we call it your name after you? Yeah. So I said, well, what do you mean? And they said, well, we've got the Kelly and we've got Monsieur Dumas' traveling bag or something. Uh, can we call this, you know, your name? Oh, I said, with pleasure. You know, I was so flattered oh. after the Kelly and everything. So uh, he gave me my bag. And I never really followed it up much until much, much later somebody said, you know your handbag is, is the bag that, that is selling the most than any bag or something. And when I went to America, I don't know what, in what interview, they said, uh, 
You mean Birkin like the bag? Now, today, the price of a Birkin bag is almost disgusting to say. They start at $12,000. They range on average between twelve dollars and $18,000, but there are really rare styles of Birkin that go up to $2 million. Like These are unbelievably expensive handbags and arguably the most difficult handbags to get your hands on, no pun intended. My first exposure to the difficulty of buying an it bag from Hermes, I'm going to be super transparent here, was actually on The Real Housewives of Miami. I was watching, I want to say it was season two, and Leah Black was introducing Lisa Hochenstein at the time, who had never had an Hermes bag before. Lisa was saying, oh, I really want a Birkin, and Leah Black had all of these Birkins. I'm going to see if I can find a soundbite to include here. So you're going to call every store in America to get a Birkin. And Leah Black was like, I'm going to help Lisa get a Birkin. This is my big storyline for the season, blah, blah, blah. So it was all about Lisa getting introduced to Leah Black's salesperson at Hermes and kind of looking for the right color and looking for the right bag size for her. And it takes months and months and months. And finally, she is offered a Birkin. And I think the word offered here is really important because you cannot, again, just walk into an Hermes store and say, I want to buy a Birkin. It is up to that relationship that you have with a sales associate for them to say, you now have the opportunity to buy a Birkin. So what does that mean for the status of the bag? And what does that mean for your availability to consume it? And what does that mean for your perception of people who carry these bags? It is absolutely a status symbol. There is no more significant status symbol in the handbag world than having a sales associate that will sell you Birkins. Why is it that when we're watching reality TV, when we're watching any Housewives franchise, or when we're watching the Kardashians and they show us a shot of someone's closet and it's filled wall-to-wall -wall with shelves of Birkin, there is no more significant status symbol in the handbag world or in the fashion world in general than the availability or the opportunity to buy a Birkin bag. And I think the concept of a Birkin bag in today's space is really interesting, and I'm gonna get into this a little bit later, but how are bags constructed? It is said that Hermes is one of the last fashion houses still constructing bags by hand. And actually, very interestingly, Hermes owns all of their production sources from start to finish. So if you are buying a crocodile Hermes bag, we're not even going to talk today about how gross it is to use animal skins purely for fashion. We're just talking about at a high level. If you are buying an Hermes crocodile bag, Hermes actually owns the crocodile farm where that crocodile was born and grew up and eventually died for the sake of that bag. Like they own everything from start to finish. When it comes to leather bags, they have their own ranches for that. When it comes to anything with ostrich, they also own all of that. It is a really interesting start to finish, dare I say, closed loop process in production for them to own absolutely everything. Yes, the bags are still constructed by hand, so it is very easy to argue that these really high price points are for the craftsmanship of the bags, but we're going to get into that in a second. I want to keep on our role of historic it bags. Who makes an it bag? Quick break. 30 million women are impacted by weakened or thinning hair. 
If you're among them, know you're not alone and there's a solution you can trust to deliver results. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement, clinically shown to improve your hair growth, thickness, and visible scalp coverage. Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting the five root causes of thinning, stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, and metabolism through whole body health. Nutrafol has three unique formulas to support women through all stages of life, including postpartum and menopause. Each formula is physician-regulated using natural, drug-free, medical-grade ingredients in consistently effective dosages, so you get the most reliable results. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after six months, and over 3,000 top doctors and stylists recommend Nutrafol as an effective, high-quality solution for healthier hair. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code ECOCHIC to save $15 on your first month's subscription. This is their best offer absolutely anywhere, and it is only available to U.S. customers for a limited time. Plus, free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com, N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code ECOCHIC. I'll put it in the show notes. We love a subscription supplement service around here, and I want to also tell you about Care Of. Care Of is a subscription service that ships high-quality, personalized vitamin supplements and powders conveniently to your door every month. You can take a short, in-depth quiz about your health goals and your lifestyle and get personally tailored recommendations based on your answers, or you can change up your pack anytime. Care Of's products are made from good-for-you clean ingredients that are backed by the latest science and research so you can feel good about what you're putting into your body. I've been traveling a lot lately, and it is really, really nice that I can bring my vitamins with me. I like that the Care Of packages have all of my vitamins for the day already prepackaged individually. They're in compostable packaging, which makes me feel a lot better of disposing of that waste. And I also like that they have these cute little prompts on them every day. Things like if you usually read nonfiction, switch it up today and read a fiction book. Or what is your favorite meal? And these little things that just get me thinking while I'm taking my vitamins. It's a really fun way to build routine into travel, into time where I don't typically have routine. My vitamins keep me grounded. They also make me feel good. The quiz on Care Of Online is super easy, super user-friendly, and gets you thinking a lot about your own personal goals. Mine are around joint health. I make sure to do vegan collagen because that is aligning with my plant-based lifestyle. And it's really easy to personalize these vitamins over time if I so desire. If you've heard about Care Of before, I know you've heard me talk about it, you've heard lots of people talk about it, this is the time to try it out. I've got a special offer for you. You can get 15% off your first Care Of order. Go to TakeCareOf.com and enter code ECOCHIC50. Again, 50% off your first Care Of order at TakeCareOf.com with code ECOCHIC50. It'll be in the show notes. Born in the 1950s, we have the Gucci Jackie bag. Selfishly, this is my favorite bag, so I was really excited to talk about it. In 1960, 1961, Jackie Kennedy started getting photographed with this particular Gucci bag. It had, again, just a regular run-of-the-mill factory-style name, but it was a Gucci bag. It was still an expensive bag. Jackie O started getting photographed with it, And sure enough, they renamed it in 1961. So the bag had already been out for about 11 years. The Gucci Jackie bag, I think, is a really interesting first example that we have of a bag that is reissued. So it was released in 1950, again, renamed in 1961. And the bag was relaunched in 1999 when Tom Ford was creative director of Gucci. 
Another prime example of a regular bag that was just adopted by someone in society, someone with public notoriety, getting renamed, and now the bag is an it bag. The Gucci Jackie was reissued yet again in 2009, and it was called the New Jackie this time. There was new colors and a couple of new shapes and sizes. The buckles were a little bit different, but it was essentially the same bag, again reissued in 2009 by the new creative director, Frida Giannini. The last example I have in this little chapter of our episode, who makes an it bag, is the Dior Lady Dior bag. Another bag that selfishly I love. I love the story behind it. It's just a really cute little bag. It is a top handle kind of stitched tote, and it comes in a mini and it comes really big. The story of the Lady Dior is that it was born in 1995, and it was really a personalized gift from Dior to Princess Diana. Princess Diana had been a fan of Dior for quite some time. She had carried other Dior bags, and this bag was a special custom gift for her. It had charms on it, and it was actually given as a gift by Dior in partnership with the First Lady of France at the time, Bernadette Chirac. How good was that French accent? I mean, I am killing it over here. But seriously, the story of the Lady Dior was that it was a gift to Princess Diana, and then everybody else wanted it. So here's another example. It was not renamed for her, but it was specifically decided, similarly to the Birkin, that this was a bag we were going to associate with a person. This was a bag that was automatically getting status because of who was carrying it. And the women that we've discussed so far as associated with these big, shiny status symbol bags, Jane Birkin, Grace Kelly, Jackie O, Princess Diana, these are all historic icons. These are fashion legends. These are women that were really globally recognized and respected for their space in fashion. But we now live in a world where we don't have these kinds of fashion icons as our only influences in what it means to be an it bag. So I think that the next really great space to lead our conversation, the next chapter of this episode, dare I say, is going to be about bags in pop culture. And I have an example here that I think once you see the bag and once you start looking for it, you're going to start seeing it everywhere. And that is the Fendi baguette. The Fendi baguette is a little shoulder bag. It is a long bag just that you wear right under your arm and it gets its name from, yes, a French baguette, but it is really noted as having risen to popularity because of its prominence in Sex and the City. Fendi came out with this bag in 1997 and on the show Sex and the City, the main character, Carrie, she is known as this fashion icon. She's a writer. She's just like bopping around New York City, somehow running everywhere in a pair of Manolo Blahniks. But Carrie loved a Fendi baguette. And once you look for the bag and if you rewatch the show, you will see them everywhere. She had so many colors, so many patterns. And this bag really became deeply associated with Carrie as a character. So as the show gained popularity, sure enough, the Fendi baguette continued to gain popularity. Supposedly within the first year of it being introduced, they sold over 100,000 Fendi baguettes. And I think this is a really interesting quote I found in an article from Vogue. This is a quote from Sylvia Fendi, who was the designer at the time. Speaking on the Fendi baguette, she says, It was foolish, a treat, anti-functional. It was the first bag that was treated like a garment. I think this is a really interesting lens to discuss a handbag through. 
because when you are discussing the differences between a garment and a handbag at the luxury level, you have to recognize that bags are very easy to sell to the masses. There are no sizes. You do not have to concern yourself as a luxury brand with inclusivity if you are selling handbags. Everyone gets the same size. Handbags are also generally less expensive than clothing items. They're more useful. There are consumers that understand handbags as kind of their first foray into the luxury fashion space. And for a lot of people, this is where it ends. A luxury accessory is a way to spend your money that will always fit you. You can start associating it as timeless. You'll have it forever. It's very easy to justify a handbag purchase as opposed to spending that same $2,000 on a pair of designer shoes. So this brings me to my next point about the democratization of luxury goods. Why is it now that it seems like everybody can afford luxury fashion? Well, affordability is definitely an argument for us to have. Why is it that everyone seems to have the same sort of designer things? Why does everyone have a designer something? And I want to compare this with our earlier point about a lot of Hermes bags still being made by hand. The interesting thing about luxury goods is that in today's year of the Lord 2022, a lot of luxury goods are made by machines. These luxury goods generally are not being stitched by hand. The same kind of association that we have with craftsmanship of luxury goods that existed during the days of Grace Kelly and Princess Diana is not the same sort of luxury craftsmanship that we are seeing today. I want to quickly plug the work of Dana Thomas. She is a really incredible, well-regarded fashion writer and fashion historian in the space. And my friend Megan McSherry and I read her book, Deluxe, How Luxury Lost Its Luster. For the very first book club episode we ever had on the show, I'm going to go ahead and link that book club episode in the show notes because we really got into a lot of great details from that book. I'm going to insert a clip here of Dana Thomas speaking at Google in 2007 about this democratization. She is giving a talk on her book, Deluxe. With the fall of monarchy, which when you consider what I just explained to you, wasn't so surprising... And the rise of industrial fortunes in the late 19th century, luxury became the domain of old money European aristocrats and elite family, American families like the Vanderbilts and the Astors and the Whitneys, who moved in closed social circles. Luxury wasn't simply a product. It denoted a history of tradition, superior quality, and often a pampered buying experience. Luxury was a natural and expected element of the upper classes, like having the right surname or belonging to the right club. And it was produced in small quantities, often made to order, for an extremely limited and truly elite clientele. As Diana Vreeland noted in her memoirs, DV, which is a great book that I highly recommend, very few people have ever breathed the pantry air of a house of a woman who wore the kind of dress Vogue used to show when I was young. In the last 20 years, however, that has all changed. When I first started covering fashion in the late 1980s at the Washington Post, most luxury companies were small, independently run, usually by the founders or the, or the, or the founders' heirs. They were still a niche business for a niche clientele. They did 20, 30, 50, maybe $50 million a year. 
At the same time, businessmen with no previous connection to luxury or fashion began to buy up these luxury companies from the elderly founders or their heirs. And the tycoons saw great potential for these lux old luxury houses. It was the beginning of the 1990s economic boom. And people were getting richer and richer and wanted to pamper themselves like those old industrial revolution barons. The middle class evolved into the middle market. Something that has always really stuck with me when we talk about the democratization of luxury goods is that Dana Thomas regards Louis Vuitton as the McDonald's of luxury fashion. Louis Vuitton is one of the first houses to really speed up production. All of their things are made on machines with the exception of Louis Vuitton trunks, which only a handful of them are made every year by like 15 craftsmen in France somewhere. But otherwise, everything besides the trunks, everything is made on machines. Nothing about Louis Vuitton is truly luxury. What you are paying for is the label. What you're paying for is the logo, the icon, the status that it gives you to be carrying around a large logo of Louis Vuitton. If you think about any size of typical Louis Vuitton bag you have, I'm not talking about any special collections, nothing is painted on these bags, a typical bag that you can walk into a Louis Vuitton store and just purchase, they are all cut from the same fabric. The fabric or the leather is all just cut in different sizes to fit different bags. It is all actually exactly the same and that cuts costs really significantly. The leather is not any sort of special high quality leather that they own. The stamps are not any different on bigger bags than smaller bags. Everything is the same. Production costs are wildly low compared to the profit margins. And why is that? It's because they can sell more. The quality is decreased for quantity to increase, basic econ 101. And when they can produce so much more, the status symbol of owning a Louis Vuitton bag, of saying I can spend $2,000 on a Neverfull, on a really big tote bag that just holds my normal stuff to go to Pilates, that $2,000 is now your status symbol to the world to say, I have a piece of luxury. I have some bit of social status because I can afford this bag. So a Louis Vuitton bag is a great example of an it bag or a designer bag that is not necessarily used for style, but simply for status. When you are thinking about this larger picture of how they are produced and how they are sold significantly more than something like, let's say, an Hermes bag that you have to be on a wait list for, wait years and years, know someone, have a sales associate, etc. There is a really stark difference. Not all designer bags are made equally, or they do not all have the same sort of status that you think you're showing to the world. Quick break, I'd like to tell you a little more about one of our sponsors, Oregon State University eCampus. Oregon State University is a nationally ranked leader in delivering degrees and programs online to students around the world. Their mission is to empower people like you with the skills you need to build a career and make a difference in your community. By pursuing a bachelor's degree online in the field of conservation and natural sciences, you'll develop the skills you need to understand, cultivate, and protect our natural world. You can choose from a variety of hands-on programs like environmental sciences to position yourself as a professional who can address climate change and other big topics. You could choose a program like natural sciences to study how human behavior impacts the world's precious commodities or fisheries and wildlife sciences to gain skills in habitat restoration, animal care and conservation, and so much more. All Oregon State online programs are developed by the same world-class faculty who teach on campus. 
One of the main reasons OSU eCampus is considered one of the nation's most innovative providers of online education. Discover how you can make a difference and how you can find the right program for yourself at ecampus.oregonstate.edu slash ecochic. Again, ecampus.oregonstate.edu slash ecochic. So on that note of what we're showing to the world, how is value perceived or created today? How is it that we are looking at a bag and really deeply desiring it as a society when it's not like we are just seeing all these photos of Grace Kelly in the newspaper covering her pregnancy with a big Hermes bag and now suddenly we all want a Kelly. Now we have social media. In the years of social media, the perception of luxury has changed really significantly. And perhaps that speaks a little bit to my earlier point of why does it feel like everyone has a luxury something? Social media has allowed us to take these moments in tabloid history and these photos and these really targeted uh, average moments for celebrities to be showing off bags and again democratizing them. We are seeing them so much more frequently. We are seeing staged photos. We are seeing fashion houses send bags to celebrities and to other influencers to share photos really intentionally and create a sense of hype that may not have otherwise been there. The immediate example that comes to my head when I talk about a designer bag that is kind of falsely built up by social media is the Dior saddlebag. The Dior saddlebag was similar to the Fendi baguette where it was popularized in the late 90s, early 2000s by people we started seeing in pop culture and just used more as a garment, as an accessory, as something that was cute and trendy, not super functional. But in about 2022, it is said that the Dior saddlebag came back as this kind of Y2K nostalgic piece. We started seeing people like Bella Hadid and Kendall Jenner carrying around these vintage Dior bags. And they were hard to find. These are bags that had not been sold in quite a bit. And they were bags that were really expensive to buy secondhand. So Dior sees that these celebrities, that these ultra supermodels of our time are sharing photos or being snapped on the street, carrying these Dior saddlebags, and everyone wants them. It's really hard to find online again. Now they're creating this sense naturally of scarcity in the vintage world. So Dior is a fashion house. What do they do? They decide to re-release the Dior saddlebag. And this re-release of the Dior saddlebag did not come simply naturally into the consumer space and we just came upon it naturally. Of course not. We live in a time where everything is highly curated and planned out online. So the Dior saddlebag was sent to hundreds of celebrities and mega influencers to post all around the same time. And I feel like if you were looking for them or if you started paying attention to them, you could not get away from the Dior saddlebag. These were also bags that were also covered in logos at the time because that was quite trendy, this logo mania of 2022. The Dior saddlebag is, I'm going to say it, I hate, I hate to admit it, I think it's kind of cute, but maybe it's because I have seen it so many times, but the Dior saddlebag is a novelty item. It is not a bag that is created to hold stuff. If you look at a photo of these bags online, they are kind of slanted, they are intended to be, again, a novelty item, an accessory, and actually an analyst at LVMH, the group that owns Louis Vuitton, Louis Vuitton Moet Hennessy, I want to say. The quote is, consumers are now asking for ongoing novelties. 
It's consistent with the changes in creative direction at LVMH. The idea is to renew the offer on a constant basis. So what does that mean? We have gone from the social status of a big time it bag to looking at bags as novelty items, as trends, as looking at these designer items as disposable in the same sort of way that we are seeing micro micro trends. So this space of fast fashion has now kind of bled into the designer space. How is it that we are creating this constant hype and this constant false need for consumers to purchase luxury items? My other favorite, favorite example of perceived value or value that is just brought by a logo rather than the quality of a bag is any Prada nylon bag. So you could think of the Prada nylon backpack. I am specifically thinking of the Prada shoulder bag that was reissued, the 2005 reissue that was just sent out last year. Similarly, we saw these all around social media. We saw them on celebrities. We saw them on regular influencers. I feel like I see them walking down the street once a week in Denver, Colorado. Everyone seems to have a Prada nylon bag but me. And I'm not really jealous. I think they're cute bags. But if you're thinking about it, it is a nylon bag. You are not paying for the materials. You are not paying for some high quality, ultra craftsman created piece. You are paying for nylon with a Prada logo on it or a little Prada emblem that has been sewn on. You could certainly argue that the quality of this nylon bag, the stitching of this bag are significantly better justifying a starting price of $800, significantly better than like something you're going to get at a Urban Outfitters or something like that. And yeah, that might be true. But again, that doesn't take away the point that this is a nylon bag. And I have an excerpt that I want to read from Deluxe by Dana Thomas. Again, that book that Megan and I read for book club. And it's about specifically the nylon backpack. The Prada backpack, in fact, unknowingly became the emblem of the radical change that luxury was undergoing at the time. The shift from small family businesses of beautifully handcrafted goods to global corporations selling to the middle market. She goes on to discuss how different fashion houses adopted this similar mindset after Prada came out with the nylon bag, that it is less expensive for them to produce bags. Bags can be sold in perpetuity. It's not like a seasonal dress or a seasonal pair of shoes, like I mentioned earlier. Bags, you don't have to worry about sizing. You don't have to worry about trying things on and making sure it fits. There is so much about handbags that is a dare I say marketing ploy. It is all about profits right now. It is really a false sense of value that we're associating with bags. And it's a really interesting way to think about consumption. Ultimately, circling back to the thesis of stuff for status. What does it mean to truly own an it bag? If we are talking again, a Lady Dior bag, if we are talking a Gucci Jackie bag, if we're talking about these historic, iconic, handmade, really well-loved, timeless pieces, you can certainly associate that as worth the price. You're wearing it every day. You're wearing it for 20 years, whatever that means to you being worth the price. But if you're taking that to just say, I am buying a Prada nylon 2005 reissue because I like that it's a little nostalgic. I like that everyone but me seems to have it on social media. Then we have taken what it means to be luxury, what it means to spend money on a handcrafted, timeless, something that's going to last you forever type of good to something that we are disposing of. 
And perhaps you're not thinking of the same thing. You're not throwing your Prada nylon bag in a landfill, but if you are reselling it within two years, was that price point truly worth it? Or did you buy it because of marketing hype? You can take this sort of lens of marketing hype to maybe special collections. I'm thinking of the Louis Vuitton rainbow collection that was really popular in the early 2000s or similarly the Louis Vuitton collection with the maraschino cherries. These were collections that were really hard to get a hold of. These are collections that we very well see fakes on celebrities. And I saw a really deep dive recently of the Rainbow Louis Vuitton and fakes on Paris Hilton and Lindsay Lohan. And these people that we associated as like fashion icons in the early 2000s, it was very clear that they were carrying fakes. And why is that? Not because they can't get a hold of it, but when they can't get a hold of it, they still want that status symbol of I have this trendy bag. And I think it's a really interesting lens to look through when we think about pop culture, when we think about influence, when we think about perceived value and value that we only really associate with stuff, especially again, this example of Louis Vuitton being the McDonald's of luxury fashion. These are things that we are just putting value on because other people have them and we don't. What does that mean for you? Honestly, I don't really know. I think this is just good information to move forward with. It has definitely made me think more deeply about my purchases or my desires to own things. I am not a person that's like going out and buying luxury stuff in general, but it has really made me think deeply about why I see these things so frequently, why I see certain handbags throughout a season and then never again. It has made me really value a really beautiful bag when I'm just browsing the real, real dreaming of one day owning one of those Lady Dior mini bags, dare I say. But there is clearly a difference between timeless, iconic, and luxury for the sake of just owning luxury. And that's not to say that these things can't be popularized. Again, earlier I mentioned watching reality TV and seeing these closets full of rows and rows of Birkin bags. That is a moment of overconsumption and holding things for the sake of just owning them. So what's the middle ground here? What does luxury truly look like? I think this is a really fun lens to think about overconsumption because it's not just overconsumption, but rather overspending, false value, and all of these things that we are kind of circling around in a society where value only exists when you assign it to something. It is up to you to say this nylon bag is worth $30 versus now it has a Prada logo on it, it's worth $800. There is so much to unpack. I only want this Fendi baguette because I saw it on Sex and the City so many times. I only want this Dior saddlebag because I saw Bella Hadid carrying it. And you may not realize those are the reasons, but they are at the end of the day. It's all subconscious. It's all marketing. It's all sense of false scarcity. We think because they're luxury, they're hard to get and we're not going to be able to get them. But sure enough, everyone gets them anyway. So what does it mean for an item to be truly an it bag in today's day and age? I will close off there. I think that we've had a lot of fun today. I hope you enjoyed this episode because I had so much fun putting it together. Like I said, I will have visuals available on social so we can break these down a little bit further. And I also encourage you to take this lens and this kind of example to anything. I use the example of handbags today because selfishly, that's what I like to look at and things that I associate consumption and with luxury. But you could do this through the lens of a lot of things, homes, cars, um, anything that we are overspending on just for the sake of having it. There are a lot of ways to look at this in our society. Handbags is just one. But what does it mean to truly have an it bag or to have status or to use stuff as a status indicator? It's a really hard question. So 
Anyway, I will leave you with that food for thought. Thank you so, so much for hanging out with me today. If this is your first time on Eco Chic, first of all, welcome. I hope you had so much fun with us today. I hope that you are subscribed. Go ahead and follow the show on Apple Podcasts. You can follow on Spotify. You can find all of my social links down below. And even if you've been here a while, just double check that you're subscribed everywhere. Double check that you have submitted a rating and review. Send this episode to a friend. Send it in the group chat. Say hello to your mom for me. And I will talk to you next week. Bye.